Well, this morning, part of what we are doing, and, and I, I've already seen some of the anger across the aisle between Heath and Gary. Gary wearing the Packer stuff and the, the angry bear fan or protective. The, part of the reason that we are coming together is that we, we come together as the body of Christ. And there is no separation. Uh, scripture says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, uh, but we're all one in Christ. And... Um, th- in spite of NFL teams, you know, I know we got a crazy Steeler fan in the back too, and you know, we, we pray for you all. You know, if Iowa had an NFL team, you'd all be smoked anyway. But um, I doubt it. But um, them farm boys are tough. Um, but one of the reasons that we come together is to celebrate the oneness that we have in Christ. Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the fun things uh, that we are going to be doing this morning is welp- welcoming in new members. Uh, and the members that have gone through our covenant membership class are, are diverse. There is not one husband or wife or friend, male or female, that is the same. But together we are, they're uniting together into the mission of the church. And it's uh, with great joy that we're going to be welcoming welcoming in Seven new members uh, into the fellowship of Missio Day Church. Uh, Mike and Jen Archibald, uh, Bob and Tennille Chapel, uh, Andy and Tara Burke, and Wendy Ashinger over here. And these are going to be new brothers and sisters who are covenanting together. And with that, they have gone through, well, originally we were hoping it was just going to be uh, five classes, I think, but it turned out to be seven after all. So first round of covenant members, you know, don't feel bad. They, they got the full wrath of covenant membership class as well. Um, so uh, we want to, uh, there's certain promises. We are covenanting together, making promises to one another, as well as making our promises back, reminding us of our, our covenant promises that God has made to us and that we are making to God knowing that God is always faithful, that He loves this church far more than we could ever love this church. Uh, But there are promises that if we are faithful, we will see blessings. Uh, So, um, additionally, uh, at the end, we are, as a church, just because you have become a member of the church, we, on a yearly basis, ask people to evaluate their covenant membership. They don't have to go through the class again. But it's a re-reminder. Regularly, Israel came back again and they read the book of the law. They remembered again what God's promises are. And it wasn't that they had to re-up, but they were re-reminded of uh, their covenant relationship with God. And so if uh, you were a covenant member uh, last year, this is your opportunity. You'll have just one question. But it's good to hear the questions again as to what is this relationship that we're entering into. So where's my partner, Nate? Um, We are going to uh, be talk sharing uh, what is first, what is by the power of the Holy Spirit that the leadership is covenanting with, um, and then what is your end of the covenant. So Nathan. Yep. With the help of the Holy Spirit, the church leadership covenants to the following. We commit ourselves to lovingly care for you and seeking your growth in Christ. We covenant to provide teaching and counsel from the scriptures 
We commit that this teaching will span the whole counsel of God's word. We commit to helping you in times of need. We covenant that your elders and deacons will meet the criteria assigned to them in the scriptures. We covenant to pray for you regularly, particularly when you're sick. We covenant to be on guard against false teachers. We covenant to exercise church discipline when necessary. We covenant to help you become equipped to serve Christ. We covenant to seek God's will for our church community to the best of our ability as we study the scriptures and follow the Spirit. We covenant to set an example and join you in fulfilling the duties of church members. And this is uh, as new members. Uh, and those of you who will be re-upping, this is what you will be covenanting to. So with the guiding help of the Holy Spirit, I, you, we, publicly proclaim as follows. I believe Jesus Christ is exactly who He claimed to be. I have renounced my old way of life, repented of my sins, asked God to forgive my sins, to cleanse me and make me a new creation. I confess Jesus Christ is the Lord and Master of my life. I recognize that my sin has separated me from God and has put me at enmity with Him, the object of His wrath. Because of my sins, I deserve eternal torment and separation from God. And I recognize that there is only one way to God, salvation in the kingdom of heaven and eternal life, Jesus Christ. There is no other way. My redemption and the forgiveness of sins is an unmerited gift of grace from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, accomplished by His death and shed blood on the cross at Calvary. I am a Christian who has been saved from my sins by the grace of Jesus Christ. I have accepted His gift of salvation, bought by His death on the cross, and the penalty for my sins and His resurrection, by which I am assured of eternal life. In obedience to Scripture, I have been baptized as a child in a Christian church, or after I have became a believer in Jesus Christ, as evidence and testimony of my commitment to be a disciple of Jesus Christ my Savior. I have read and understood the Missio Dei statement of faith and agree to not be divisive to its teaching. I also understand the importance of submission to church leadership and be diligent to preserve the unity and peace. I will endeavor to maintain a close relationship with the Lord Jesus through regular personal Bible reading, prayer, fellowship, and practice of other spiritual disciplines, my commitment to follow Jesus will be evident through my regular participation in corporate worship, my willingness to serve where needed, and my involvement in the fellowship with other members of the church body through a small group or class. I will strive to properly manage the resources God has given me, including my time, body, spiritual gifts and talents, attitudes, finances, and possessions. This includes regular giving and service to the local church that is sacrificial, cheerful, active, and voluntary. I commit myself to the Missio Dei Church family and agree to aid in fulfilling its missional purpose and to, to be both and bring the, to, to both be and bring the gospel to the greater Lincoln Way area by being a doer of the word and not a hearer only, serving Jesus as my master and Lord in every area of my life. I covenant to practice 
the humility and sacrificial attitude of Jesus by considering the needs of others, by seeking spiritual friendships and not gossiping. I covenant to have friendly Christian relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ from other churches, but I will not function in leadership or as a member in any other church family. I covenant to be self-disciplined, to follow the biblical procedures of church discipline regarding my brothers and sisters in Christ and submit myself to church discipline if the need should ever arise. And finally, I covenant to submit to the authority of scriptures as the final arbiter on all issues. God enabling me, I will strive to consider my commitment to this membership covenant on a yearly basis. I understand that it is an evaluative tool as well as an affirmation of my continuing conviction and purpose. My responsibility will be to notify Missio Day leadership if at any time I can no longer commit to this covenant or if I have any questions, comments, or concerns regarding Missio Day Church. So those that are joining with us today, if you can stand. <clears throat> And this is the question and answer time. So you can respond with simply I do or I do with God's help. Having believed the gospel and thus received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and being in agreement with the Missio Dei Church Covenant, do you now feel led by the Holy Spirit to unite with the Missio Dei Church body? You may be seated. If you are a covenant, a former covenant, not former covenant, if you are re-upping as covenant members, would you please stand? Question and answer time again. You can again answer with I do or I do with God's help. Having believed the gospel and thus received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and being in agreement with the Missio Dei Church Covenant, do you now feel led by the Holy Spirit to remain united with the Missio Dei Church body? Excellent. You may be seated. Well, it's easy to look at this as just uh, part of the routine of the church. This is what we do. But I want you to hear that this is a, a weighty thing for myself and for Nathan. Um, because our family is growing larger. Um, I think of <laughs> the Andersons. It was easy with one, right? And all of a sudden they <laughs> outnumber you. And the responsibility is just as great with the first as it is with the next. And as large as the family gets, our responsibility is just as great. Caring for the family, nurturing you, admonishing, redirecting, pointing you towards Jesus Christ week after week. Our responsibilities as, as elders and the deacons and to one another is great. And we, you need to hear this from regular attender, first time guest to covenant member. We love you. We love you deeply. 
we care for you in such a way that we pray that you grow and continue to grow for a heart of the gospel. So uh, we're going to pray for you, and then we're going to encourage new members to come on up to sign the great book of membership because we couldn't find any bigger one. Um, this is the perfect size. So let me pray for, for us. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your church, the bride of Christ, that has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have made us a, a holy priesthood, a holy nation a city within the city. We are called a city on a hill that cannot be hid. The light that is found within us is not our own, but it's from Jesus Christ. So Lord, I thank You for, for Your work that has redeemed us, that has saved us from the wrath of God and made us children sons and daughters of the King. Lord, I pray that as brothers and sisters, as Christians, Lord, that we, we are united in humility with a certain boldness and trust. That we are united to carry the Gospel forward as Your bride. Carry the Gospel forth wherever we may be. So that, Jesus, You are glorified even more in our personal lives, our, our work lives. Lord, I pray that this is not just a ceremony or a ritual of the church, but it is a public testimony to each other, to the world, to You, of our love that we have for You the God of the Gospel. We thank You, Jesus, that we are able to make these promises. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, those new seven members, would you please come forward this year? Uh, there's actually a pen that works well. So come on up, find your spot in the book. And while they're doing this, we are going to, uh, we're going to do prayers of the people. Um, do prayers of the people. Uh, sharing, what, what are those, uh, those things that are heavy on our hearts? What are those things that, that God has placed? The joys and the burdens, and your hopes and dreams. What are those things? And uh, as you do it, like we did last week, if you don't mind sharing them loudly, uh, sharing your name, because not everybody knows you, I'm assuming. Uh, what are those things that you would like to uh, pray together with? Us to pray, pray together for?
Excellent. Thank you, Donna. Other prayer requests? Praises? Joy. for cancer and the surgery that comes with it. And the mission trip is paid for. Excellent. God's provision. Amanda. And celebrating another year of life. She's an old lady now. She's 22. Amanda is, that is. Not grandma. <laughs> Tennille. Excellent. That's all I, yes. Wife's name is Diane, right? Excellent. Thank you.
And what? Hmm. Is that the same for the Ratchesses? Laura. Sweet. Others. Wow. 35 years of blissful marriage. Uh, 25 years of marriage. personal too. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear the last part. And the last one was for all the women, healthy pregnancies. Anybody else have any announcements about pregnancies that we need to make? Drinking Pat's lemonade is dangerous. We have the bigger congregation through drinking the lemonade. <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's pray together.
Father God, I thank you that we can come together and we can do this because uh, we are your children and you love to hear our, our, uh, the prayers of your children. Like a father loves to hear the requests and the, the burdens of his own children. As parents love to answer prayers and guide their children. Lord, that's in the same way uh, that you love to hear these. So Lord, hear our prayers for, for Donna and her grandmother as they have moved her into assisted living. Lord, may she feel loved and cared for, and may her fears of being alone be just a mist, as the family does care for her. And Lord, give John and Donna just the wisdom of knowing their role and their responsibility in caring for uh, uh, their grandmother. Lord, we also praise you for how you have... Uh, provided for joy, Lord, how you have, as she is going off to India for a missions trip to share the gospel there, Lord, how you have resourced her uh, through uh, funds that were not even known uh, from Danforth. Lord, I thank you for that, and we celebrate that, and how you care for everyone in different ways, and, and needs are met. We also pray for her aunt who has cancer. Lord, would you be her guide, would you be her, her physician, guiding the, the doctors and the medication and all those things, giving everybody the wisdom that they need to bring her to full health, if that is your will, Lord. God, also for Amanda's grandmother, who finally had surgery after all this, the waiting and the testing and the being in the hospital, Lord, would you continue to be her strength, giving her uh, the health, the restoring her fully. We pray for uh, Bob's Aunt Vicky, Lord, and her just ongoing battle with health. Would you give them what they need? Would you uh, encourage Vicky, her heart? Would you give the chapels opportunities to, to minister to her? sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel through word and deed. Lord, we pray for Ken Anderson with this rare form of, of spinal cancer. God, uh, I am sure this is just a blow to the family, not sure which way to turn or what to say or how to pray. So Lord, we, we join Ken, Brian, Heidi. We pray with with Diane, his wife, Lord, and their, their, their children and their sister-in-laws and extended family and church, Lord, for Ken's healing and the wisdom that is needed. God, this has got to be a scary thing. But Lord, may Ken's trust be placed in you. Fully in you, God. For his healing, for the journey down this road, whatever it may look like, may his trust be placed in you and your goodness. God, we also thank, thank you for the healing that uh, the Phillips family has been experiencing. Um, so we celebrate with Mia, and we also pray for that continued healing for the Ratchesses. Uh, God, just sickness has been riddled, with, riddled this congregation and our extended family. Would you be our strength? And in the midst of sickness, 
Would you be our, our comfort? We pray for, for Haley and her, her struggle with anxiety. God, would you just give wisdom to her parents? Would you give Jim and Janaea wisdom in knowing how to uh, offer those words of encouragement and words of wisdom? God, we, we thank you for just stories of healing, of Ellie's reflux on one side just being taken care of, Lord, and we pray for her full restoration. Lord, th- those are stories that encourage our hearts, especially encourages a mom and a dad of how you have cared for them. But God, they're also testimonies to us of your provision, of your care. Lord, we pray for all the women who are pregnant in this church family and, and beyond. We pray for your healing and your, your protection and your, uh, your care for these children. Lord, you, have, you are knitting them together. And these are your children. And you know them even before the foundation of the earth was laid. You have known them. Would you care for them in this whole process? We thank you, God, for Bob's test results, for uh, your provision there, for caring for even Sadie in her ballet recital and how she did great using her gifts and her talents in ballet. God, thank you for that. We thank you for just an awesome day in leadership community of how we, we could remember your faithfulness in 2009 and 2010. And Lord, we anticipate again your, your faithfulness in 2011 and beyond. Lord, we thank you for those things of how you have cared for this church family. We thank you for 35 years of marriage that Aaron's uh, parents have experienced. And we thank you also for just another year for all of us who are married, of your faithfulness in our marriages. Lord, may we not look for those big landmark years, but every year, every day, thanking you for another year of your faithfulness in our marriages. We pray for those who are struggling in work or fear of losing work. For Tiffany and Bob and Michael and all those others who are in the workforce where things are unstable. Would you be our rock, our fortress, our ever-present help? And God, I thank you that we could pray these things. In the name of Jesus, the name that saves. And all God's people said, Amen. If you're a school age kid up to grade five, you know what? I did not pray for you, but why don't you come on up? Michael and Jen. Hi, how are you doing, buddy? Doing good? Hi, Sadie. Hi. Welcome, welcome. All right, let's pray for these guys. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the children of this church. And Lord, how they uh, are gifts from you to their parents, that they are gifts to this church, that we are 
called to share the good news with them. Not just stories from the Bible, but about Jesus and His death and resurrection and the difference that that makes in our life and our position with you. So equip Michael and Jen. Give them the words that speak to their, their hearts. Give them, the kids, open hearts to receive your good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. See you guys. Why don't you grab your Bible? We're going to continue on in uh, 1 Timothy. And uh, just a real quick recap from, from the past. In our first week, looking at 1 Timothy 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2, we saw that God has saved us and conscripted us into service so that we may bring forth true children in the faith. That, that, that God has saved us for a purpose. And He has saved us for the purpose of sharing the good news, of, of spreading His gospel, so that, like Timothy, we may see true children in the faith. That we see new life. Whether it be our children that we are raising up, whether it be our, our neighbors, our friends, our family members, God is, has called us for the purpose of service. Then we looked at what was the proper use of God's law. Because when we look in our society, we, we look at that there are all kinds of, you know, the IRS has its whole code, and it's extremely confusing, and there's absolutely no reason for some of them. It, maybe there is, but we don't get it. But God's law is perfect. And so we've got to understand, when we look at the Ten Commandments, that you shall have no other gods before us, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not do this, you shall not do that. What is the purpose of God's law? God, the per- proper use of God's law is to bring conviction of sin so that people are driven to the gospel. Driven to the gospel for salvation. They're not driven to good works. They're not driven to a better morality. They, the, the law, as they look into the law, they see their imperfections and their need for a Savior. They are in dire need of a Savior. Today we're going to continue on by looking at 1 Timothy, starting at verse 12. And we're going to go through uh, verse 17. So read along with me. It's on page 990. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy. Whenever you hear Paul say that, take note. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, 
Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I need a... How many people have ever heard of uh, Pilgrim's Progress, the book, by, by John Bunyan? How many have honestly ever read it? Okay, a few of you. This is, uh, Pilgrim's Progress is John Bunyan's, kind of his autobiographical story of his, of his life, written kind of in a, in a way that his children would understand. And, uh, and the journey is towards what's called the Celestial City. It's, it's towards heaven, towards perfection. And it's this whole journey through different lands and different places and different encounters, things that they might see. And this morning, we are going to be, the title is called Grace Abounding to the Chief Sinners. And it comes from John Bunyan's own account of his conversion of when he looked at 1 Timothy 12 through 17. And in this, John Bunyan, um, one of the characters' name is called Greatheart. And John Bunyan has Greatheart say to uh, Christian's boys as they journeyed to the celestial city, this is just a piece of advice that, for the journey that is given. And listen to this. Forgetful green is the most dangerous place in all these parts. For if at any time the pilgrims meet with any brunt, it is when they forget what favors they have received and how worthy they are, unworthy they are of them. Forgetful green is this this nice kind of pasture place where everything is absolutely perfect. And Greatheart is saying, listen, great, this, this forgetful green, as beautiful as it may be, is a terrible place. Because it is there that very quickly you forget of how unworthy you are to be on this journey towards the celestial city. You very quickly forget of all the grace and the unworthy, you are unworthy of all the merit that has been given to you and it is a dangerous place. And I would just say that, I dared say that as American Christians, living in this day of watered down, feel good, feel good for yourself gospel, that we have, forget, we have forgotten what kind of favors we have received from God. And honestly, how unworthy we are of them. We live in the forgetful green. We're proud of, to be Americans. You know, you got the guy, he'll sing that song at the top of his lungs. You know. and we just have this great pride. But I believe that, you know, my aim today is to get any of you who have just kind of wandered into this, this, this Americanized, forgetful green, that you have to get you out of there as you think of again and re, are reminded again of God's grace that covers all of your sins. The Apostle Paul stayed out of forgetful green. 
by taking frequent trips down memory lane. He, he avoided, avoided that whole area of his life because he was constantly recalling his sins. He was constantly doing that, recalling his sins and then also rem- remembering the abundant grace that has been given to him through Jesus Christ and how God has appointed him of all people to be an apostle for the Gentiles. And a lot of us hate the idea of recalling our sins. Jesus has forgiven that. I don't want to remember that. I'm done with that. All my counseling says I need to be done with that. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, of all people, is constantly recalling for the purpose of remembering the abundant grace that has been given to him. The story of Paul's conversion is repeated no less than six times throughout the New Testament. And as Paul rehearses this from, for, for Timothy, you need to be able to hear the cracking in Paul's voice as he remembers his terrible sins. But then just oh, savors the grace that has been given to him. So really, our, our theme for, for this morning is this we should often recall how God's abundant grace saved us for our sin, from our sins. We need to recall frequently, every day, as often as possible, we need to recall God's abundant grace that's been given to us, that forgives us from our sins. And we must never forget the simple, profound truth that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And as Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. I'm the worst of the worst. Because the gospel message is a message of God's abundant but yet transforming grace for sinners. Saul was, if you look at just this this brief account here, verse 13, he says, Though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. It's like saying, listen, you think you're bad? Look at my resume. I am this, I am this, I am this, I am this. I was a blasphemer. I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. I was the worst of the worst. I was an insol- not just an opponent. Because we got casual opponents, right? We got casual opponents, Bears, Packers. There's a little bit of blood loss there. But this is him saying, when it comes to Jesus Christ and his church, I was an insolent opponent. I was absolutely against absolutely everything. There was absolutely no friendship to the point where I would kill people, bring them back. He was acted ignorantly in unbelief strong just strong words and in verse 16 he says that his conversion is a model of what god can do with any sinner what he can do with absolutely any sinner that is here in this room anybody out there you think the worst person that you know which is kind of a a, an action, uh, a work of self-righteousness, but um, you think of those people out there and you go, 
Paul's going, you know what? I'm a model of what God can do for any sinner. I was the worst of the worst. And when God's grace in Christ Jesus floods into your life, when His grace is poured out onto you, it always, always, always radically transforms that person. Constantly transforms that person. And God does not save us because of any worthiness that we have on our part. There was nothing about Paul that was worthy. If anything, he was the exact polar opposite of what God wanted. There was no worthiness whatsoever. It is all a part of His mercy and His grace. When Paul says in verse 13 that he was shown mercy because he acted in un- ignorantly in unbelief, he does not mean that somehow he deserved it. He means that he had not willfully rejected the light that he'd been shown. He was just absolutely ignorant. Absolutely ignorant. And there's nothing that we could do to earn God's favor. There's nothing that you and I can do to make God say, wow, I need to save that one. There's nothing. God's grace, in verse 14, and again, the... The Greek makes it go into kind of technicolor, and our English language really limits it. God's grace was more than abundant. It, it, it says, you know, look, look at how it's just phrased. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Paul, Paul coined a word here by adding the Greek prefix hyper to it to a word that was already meaning superabundant. So basically, his meaning is super, super abundant. It's like, listen, it's not just abundant, like it's up to the top. It is super abundant. And then on top of that, super, super abundant. It just flows over. God's grace on me was just absolutely amazing. It is just spilling out all over the place. This, this God, I, I don't get why he would save me. I was all these things. I got a huge list. And God, out of his abundant mercy and grace, it just overflowed into me. It was just like waves and waves and waves of grace. Paul Paul was just overwhelmed. And as I'm, I'm reading through this, personally, I wonder if I can today join Paul in affirming his experience. Is that true for me? Because if if we jump to the end, verse 17, Paul breaks out into doxology. Am I, do I understand how unworthy I was? And honestly, still am today, receiving God's grace. Do I recognize myself as insolent, an opponent? Do I recognize myself 
as something that deserves God's wrath. But God's grace and mercy has just waves and waves and waves of grace and mercy just flown into my life so that it is super, super abundant. That it just propels me into doxology. It just makes me want to sing. It really makes me want to sing, you know. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, to the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Do we believe that, like in 2 Corinthians, it says, my grace is sufficient for you. This, my overabundant mercy and grace is sufficient for you. If God's grace and the faith and the love which are in Christ Jesus are not more than abundant in your life, that it moves you towards doxology, towards praise, towards worship, the problem is not with God's grace. If you are not moved emotionally, physically uh, towards Jesus Christ and serving His world, because we have been called to be His servants, if you are not moved, the problem is not with God's grace. Because His grace is abundant. So if the problem is not with God's grace, where is the problem? That's right, Donna's the only one doing all the visuals. The problem is with me and my heart and my condition. Either you have not understand this fundamental truth of the gospel, that it, that it is all of grace, or you have, not learned to, uh, you have not learned how to appropriate God's grace into your, into your life as a supply for all your needs. Either you don't understand the truth or you don't know how to apply the truth. That's the problem. I don't care how long you've been going to church or what kind of church you've been going to. If you don't understand the fundamental truth of the grace that has been given to you, that you were objects of God's wrath, but Jesus Christ, the perfect God, made man who lived the absolutely perfect and righteous and sinless life, received all of God's wrath so that we may become children of God and have eternal life to live in joy and fulfillment. If you don't understand that grace that's been poured out on you, then you're never going to be able to live fully. Or if you don't understand how that gospel, I get the gospel, oh, and I've received it. But now to appropriate that into my life, into my marriage, into my relationships, into my this, into my that, into my thinking. Then we've got to take the next few steps of understanding, that, understanding this, that the gospel is for sinners. No one else needs to apply. The gospel is absolutely for sinners. 
If you're basically good, a good church-going person, Christ did not come to just save you. He came to save sinners only. If you're a person with a few faults and shortcomings, maybe a little bit of anger outburst here, maybe a little bit of gluttony over here, but basically you're a good person with a few little faults and shortcomings, and that's how you think of yourself, Christ did not come to save you. He came to save sinners. People who recognize themselves as sinners. If you're a person with too much dignity and self-worth to call yourself a sinner. The gospel is not just a a positive, feel-good message to help you achieve your, your full potential or to make you feel warm and fuzzy. Let me start off with a joke and then make you all warm and fuzzy. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is nothing short but good news for sinners who are hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. But I fear that many who claim to to believe in Christ have no idea of the sinfulness in their own heart. We lack the deep gratitude for God's grace that Paul, Paul had because he knew he was the chief of sinners. And we've magnified supposed human worth and have downplayed God's holiness to such a degree that God's grace and salvation isn't such a big deal. So in the end, we're just a bunch of lukewarm Christians who lack Paul's fervent love for God because they don't understand the depths of their depravity from which God has saved them and is still saving them. I love the progression that Paul has made throughout the the New Testament. Paul calls himself here the chief of sinners. And it's significant that Paul makes this statement not as a new believer, but after he's walked with God over 25 years. After 25 years of walking closely with Jesus Christ. You can just even trace the progression of Paul's statements about himself. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I am the least of the apostles. And then in Ephesians 3, he says, I am the very least of all the saints. And here he says, I am the chief of all sinners. But he does not say, I was at one time the chief of all sinners. He says, I am the chief of all sinners. He doesn't say, I was, but rather, I am the chief. The closer that a person walks with God, the more he or she is aware of the depths of his or her sinful nature, which in turn drives him or her to a deeper appreciation of the grace of God. The closer you become 
the closer you get to Jesus Christ and the truth of who He is and what He has done, the more you look at your life and go, oh my word, I am covered with sin. Areas that I thought were just minor and minuscule, the closer I get to His holiness and understanding who Jesus is and what He's done, the more I go, oh my gosh, I am nothing but a gossip. I, I am nothing but a pure sluggard. I am just plain old lazy. I am nothing about somebody, but somebody who complains about everything. I am nothing but, I, oh, Jesus, I need you more. I, I want you more and I need you more. Rid myself of this and this and this. I, I don't know who I was in a conversation earlier this week, but when you first become a Christian, you first go, all right, I'm giving up smoking and uh, I'm giving up those real big obvious sins. And then it's like, I'm done. All right. And then you, you start hearing the gospel and you go, well, that's good. I'm glad I'm done with that. But what about my self-righteousness? And what about my pride? And what about my... And what about my... And even the smallest things in your life, you go, I need to be done with this. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of going back to that well that does not... That does not quench my thirst i'm sick of those sins some of the old old dead guys alexander uh, uh, mclaren said this a, the sign of growing perfection is the growing consciousness of imperfection the more you become like christ the more you will find out your unlikeness to him that's not taking away that You've been saved by grace. You are justified. But the closer you get to Him, the more you go, I am so unlike Him. C.S. Lewis goes on to say this, When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still in him. And when a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. The closer you get to Jesus Christ, the more you are falling in love with Him, understanding His grace and His mercy, and the more you are getting closer and closer, you understand, I am imperfect, and I need His grace more and more every day. And I need to remember from where I came and remember His grace and His mercy every step along the way and how rich and how beautiful this is and the question is are you learning that lesson are you understanding this concept as you walk with god are you learning more and more of the depravity that just lurks in your heart which in turn drives you humbly and thankfully to god's grace in jesus christ What the gospel does is it transforms our hearts. It changes our whole worldview, how we look at everything. It, it transforms us into servants. Verse 12, it talks about that. He has appointed me into service. He's, he's changed me and he, he, he's appointed me. And that's not just for the ministerial type. 
the guys who get paid, the women that get paid, it's not just for us. It is for you. He has saved you and appointed you into service wherever you are at. It transforms you and change you. Because the aim of the gospel is not to get a bunch of people to be churchgoers. It's not. Its aim is to drive sinners into servants of Jesus who live 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so that we might serve Him more fully with our entire life. As we recall the Gospel and what it did for Paul and what it does for us, there's four things, and this is how I'm going to wrap up quickly. Four things. As we recall our experience of the Gospel, it makes us thankful. It makes us thankful people. You see that in verse 12. It makes us thankful people. You want to, if you walk into any church gathering, whether it be small groups, friendship one-on-one, what should set them aside from everything else in the world is that they are thankful people because they recognize the grace that has been poured out to them. Are you thankful people? God has saved me. I am so thankful for that. That is just, it is absolutely rich. And I want to thank Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, for what He has done for me. And I'm going to do this in rich and beautiful kinds of ways. It also, verses 13 through 15, you see this. Recalling our experience with the Gospel will make us humble. Because we are unworthy of any of the grace that's been poured out to us. It is just a, His gift. And that should make us extremely humble. It makes us humble with how we interact with people who are lost. It's not, we, we come down, you know, with the, a hammer of judgment because, you know what, we, we should have received God's judgment. So we come into relationships, into problems, to one another, extremely humble, knowing that each and every one of us are a work in progress. And we come with great humility because each of us are holy. We also see that recalling the gospel will make us extremely useful. Verse 16. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His patience, perfect patience as an example as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. God displays His perfection in us and makes us useful as a light to the world. And lastly, recalling our experience with the Gospel makes us worshipful. This end here, to Him the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. To Him be all glory forever and ever. It it throws you into worship. And it's not just about singing songs. It's your whole life making you worship. He broke forth into just spontaneous. I'm sure that He didn't have to start the whole thing over going oh how do i phrase this how uh, erase that 
let's start the whole thing over again. Immediately he goes, as he's telling his story, he goes, ah, to the king of ages, to the only wise God, to, to this God be all glory and honor. It's amazing. They used me and sent him into worship. John Newton, the guy who wrote the song Amazing Grace, was a Paul. He was an insolent opponent in the slave trade. And God got a hold of his heart. And if you know the songs and the verses, you can hear even more richly his conversion process. He wrote in bold letters on on the mantle in his study something from uh, Deuteronomy 15. And it said this on his mantle so that he could always see and always be reminded. Thou shalt remember that thou wast a boundman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. He wrote his own epitaph, and it said this, John Newton, clerk, once an infidel, a libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. That's our story. And I hope you can see your story in this. That God has saved you by grace. Not by anything that you have done. By His grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm blind was blind, but now I see. He got it. We're going to... I love doing communion together because it is a constant visual reminder, a re-reminder of God's grace as we see the, the body and blood Last week we used uh, the Heidelberg Catechism. And those of you who come from the Reformed tradition, this will make you even warm again two weeks in a row. Or make you run for the hills, I don't know, one or the other. Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 79, talking about the Lord's Supper, says this. And I want you to do the answer section. How does the Lord's Supper remind you and assure you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all His gifts? In this way, Christ has commanded me.
That's grace. That He nourishes and refreshes us by offering His life. As we come to the table, we're reminded of His body broken and His blood poured out and His continual grace by nourishing us and refreshing us with the Gospel. With His Word, His fellowship with the saints, coming together as His body to celebrate. We celebrate this as family, as believers. And this table is open to anybody who believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that He was raised from the dead. If you can confess that with your mouth, if you have confessed that with your mouth and you believe it deeply in your heart, you are welcome to come to the table. We encourage you to take the time to examine yourself rightly before you come. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it and said that this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and poured it out and saying, this is my blood in the new covenant poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Those who are serving, please come forward.